Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. This is Chris. Uh, Chris is a 61-year-old retired mother of three who just weeks ago became a first-time grandmother, like lots of mothers and daughters. Chris was in the delivery room holding hands with her daughter, Sarah, as her grandson was born, a bouncing seven-pound, three-ounce baby boy named Finn. But this story has quite an unusual twist because it wasn't Sarah who gave birth, it was grandma. Yes. Yes, I saw your face drop over there. <laughs> you especially, I saw you cheering when I said it was a grandmother and she had the baby, and then, and then you were like, yay! And then when I said she had the baby, you went, oh. <laughs> well, let's take a look at how it all started. We had a really magical wedding in Scotland, in the Highlands, and we knew right from the beginning we wanted to have children. So we came home and started pretty, pretty quickly after that. And about a year into it, that's when we started looking around saying, wait a minute, why isn't this happening? Still in her early 30s, Sarah never imagined getting pregnant would be so difficult, so she set up an appointment with fertility specialist, Dr. Carolyn Coulomb. The problem was that she was not ovulating. So we put her on ovulatory inducing drugs. We did that for a year and a half and still weren't having any, any success with pregnancy. That's when Dr. Coulomb suggested in vitro fertilization, IVF. They combined Bill's sperm with Sarah's egg and implanted an embryo in Sarah's uterus. Anxious and hopeful, they prayed for a miracle. We thought if this is the way to have kids, let's be grateful that this medicine exists and, and go for it. First time we did IVF, we got pregnant with twin boys. We were over the moon, so it was one of these, wow, we had a hard time getting here. But now we've got two boys. Awesome. But five and a half months into the pregnancy, tragedy struck. Sarah went into premature labor and delivered stillborn twins. To leave the maternity ward with death certificates instead of your infants, it was just devastating. And to this day, I still, it's hard to almost breathe when I'm talking about it. That was definitely the worst day of our lives. And it's its indescribable. You, you, 
It's the worst thing that can ever happen to a human being is losing children, and we lost two. Sarah and Bill refused to give up. Eight months later, they tried another round of in vitro that also ended in more heartache. Panicked and crushed, they feared they were running out of options. After the devastating loss of her twins, Sarah was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. When she miscarried again, it was almost too much to bear. It's heartbreaking to watch your child or anyone you love, you know, suffer. At home in Virginia, Sarah's mother, Chris, was also grieving. Newly retired, she was doing some soul searching and re-examining her own life. So I spent time thinking long and hard about what I wanted to do with my life and what would really, uh, really give me joy. Then Chris heard about a postmenopausal woman who had given birth. The story sparked an idea. I was thinking of times of that quintessential joy, and it was when I was pregnant with my daughters. And then suddenly it came to me that maybe I could do this again and be part of that joy for Sarah and Bill. So I thought about how to present this idea to them, and I decided to sit down and write a letter. Somehow beyond all reason and rational action, I want to share a wish with you aloud. My wish is that I could carry your baby. Yes, since 1987, there have been postmenopausal women who have given birth in vitro, so why not me? And please, 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 don't feel any pressure, just love. Always, Mom. When she presented the idea, I, I just felt like, oh, I'd been given a lifeline. I just want to throw my arms around her because it felt like somebody had jumped down into a pit that Sarah and I had been in for years and was going to help us get out. I was blown away. I, I really didn't even have words to put to it, except that something in my heart said, you know, try, go for it. Wow. And that is exactly what they set out to do. But then reality set in. Chris was in her 60s and 10 years into menopause. The odds were stacked against them, but their fertility specialist, Dr. Coulomb, was willing to try. Look. After a battery of tests, Dr. Coulomb gave Chris hormones to prepare her body for pregnancy. She then transplanted Sarah and Bill's embryo into Chris's uterus. Just waiting for that pregnancy test, I was trying to just surrender, but I couldn't really. I just wanted to be pregnant. Just eight days after the procedure, they got the good news. We screamed and we hugged and we jumped around and then thought we shouldn't jump around. And <laughs> Six months into the pregnancy, Chris temporarily left her husband of 37 years behind in Virginia and moved to Chicago to live with Sarah and Bill. Since we know that the risks are higher, we wanted to make sure that if something were to come up, that she would be nearby so that we could take care of her. Being pregnant this time around was like everything doubled or squared. I was nauseated all the time. So it was hard, and I was really tired. I felt so much awe at her body. I think because my body had felt broken in this way, seeing her, somehow I didn't feel as broken. I felt like, look at the life. The only thing I wanted was to see that baby in her arms. Finally, the day they had all wanted. 
arrived. Chris spent 30 hours in labor before doctors decided to perform a C-section. It's time to have the baby. So I just, I wanted to be so present and they let me, I sat right next to my mom, we were holding hands and then all of a sudden they said, here, here he is, here he is and I'm just waiting and then I hear the and I just started to sob and my mom is crying and it's the most profound moment of my life. We want to sob with you right now. <laughs> On February 9, 2011, Chris gave birth to her own grandson. Please welcome first-time grandmother, Chris Casey, proud parents, Sarah and Bill Canal, and miracle baby boy, Finney and Lee. Wow. You look fantastic. So we're going to talk to Sarah and Bill in a moment, but I want to start with you. How are you feeling? I feel really remarkably well. Really? I'd say back to normal. Back to normal? Yeah. Was it difficult bouncing back? It really wasn't. I didn't have to get up at night and take care of the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't the tired one. That's right. But you were talking about, you were already 10 years into menopause and had seen a story about another woman who, who, who delivered? Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, we were taking a walk together, and she said, say, I saw a remarkable story about a postmenopausal woman who had a baby, and we all said, oh, <laughs> do we need to be worrying about that? Or uh -huh. <laughs> thinking about, is that possible? And um, we were more joking about it. Yeah, and yeah. so, but we went home kind of and got on the internet to see how that worked. And, mm -hmm. I heard that the idea actually came to you because your daughter's a life coach mm -hmm. and you'd gone to one of her life coaching sessions. Mm -hmm. And in a life coaching session, they talked about your calling, which I talk about a lot too right. on the show in the magazine, about following your calling. And you put a, put a vision board together. And this is so new to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it was just intuitive. And I uh, put to get, cut out pictures of things that just kind of appealed to me at the time. I love after menopause, women have a new choice. And I thought at the time that I wanted to cover up the word menopause and put retirement yeah. because I had recently retired. And I thought I need to choose what I'm going to do now. Uh -huh. So um, clearly, I was not supposed to cover up the word menopause. <laughs> and so were you nervous about presenting it to your husband, this idea? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Might check me in for insanity. Um, he, he was so receptive to the uh -huh. idea. I got the inspiration. Just looking at the vision board, it all kind of came to me. And then I went right to him and I said, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I want to offer to carry a child for them. And two or three times in our marriage, there have been times where I know what I want to do that directly, and he yeah. recognizes them, and he just said, okay, go ahead. Did you think they would be as receptive? Were you worried no. that they might not receive? Yeah. Oh, I was very worried. I was, I was worried that they would think I didn't have confidence in them, that, you know, that I was telling Sarah that, oh, you can't do it, I can. Uh -huh. Or, you know, how would you take that? Or that it would be beyond the threshold. This was way more intimate than we were. <laughs> in our relationship. Uh, really? You know, clearly. Because what kind of relationship did you all have prior? We had a, a closeness that we'd talk every week or two, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. spend the holidays and some things like that together. But we weren't every day in everybody's 
you know, each other's business, and certainly I wasn't in their reproductive business. Yes. No. <laughs> and you know what? It's best if mothers stay out of I that. I think so. I think yes. so. <laughs> yes. As a rule, it is. So I was really crossing a line. So tell us what happened to your body during that. Uh, it responded pretty much like previous times. I took a few weeks of hormones to mm -hmm. get prepared. Yeah. And um, I, it, it just bounced back into ability to receive the transferred embryo. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Wow. Yeah, it was... I loved, I loved on the tape when you said, you, after you realized you were pregnant, you all were jumping up and down, and then you thought, shouldn't jump up and down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then you moved here, you moved to Chicago because it was an at-risk pregnancy. So at what month did you, did you move here? I moved here in October. Mm -hmm. Baby was born early February. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to spend that time. I mean, we could have found medical support in the Take Washington, D.C. Yeah. area, but yeah. I wanted the baby to be at home. Before he was born. Too. Before he was born. So when people saw you pregnant, what kind of reaction did you get? <laughs> I think the lucky part was I wasn't at home. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so people in Chicago didn't know me. Didn't so. know you. Well, what did your friends know? How many people did you tell? Not, not very many, really, because I was in early first trimester, really, before I left, and it wasn't showing when uh -huh. I was in Virginia. And so a few friends that I see every day, we told, and, and some other What really did they say? People, they're pretty incredulous at first. People yes. just, the jaw kind of drops. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're like, you what, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then, then they're worried. I really felt badly when I came back after more people knew and I got back to Virginia. And mm -hmm. so many people said, oh my gosh, I worried about you all the time. I was praying for you night and day. And I was like, well, thank you, because I felt really peaceful most of the time and confident. So they took the worry for me. Were you all worried up until the very end, though, because of what had happened before with other babies? I I, yes, and, yes, and you always are. Yes. Until you see the baby and hear the baby cry, you can't imagine. Right. That there's really going to be a baby. <laughs> this is 61-year-old Chris, who recently gave birth to her own grandson through surrogacy. And now uh, Chris's daughter, Sarah, and her son-in-law, Bill, are the proud parents of baby Finn, who got a little testy and is now in the having, green room having, having, some, having his own. Having a snack. Yes. So how is he doing? He's amazing. He's been an easy baby, he's fun, and I think we are so ecstatic to get to be parents now mm -hmm. that we find it all wonderful. The up in the night. The yeah, I was gonna say, you're up all and, night. It's wonderful. Pooping, great. It's, it's <laughs> what we, we we're texting each other about, you know, the, yes. the report. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you think this day might never come? Oh, every day mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just creates that emotional plaque where you keep thinking no, never, can't, won't. And uh, when we were presented with the opportunity, it was, 
was just miraculous. What did you first think, though, when she read that letter for the first time and presented the idea, Bill? Well, you do this sort of four-second delay. Yes. Where, and then you start doing the math uh -huh. in your head. And then you start asking questions like, is this possible? Uh -huh. Medically, is the science there? Uh -huh. But spiritually, I think in our hearts, yeah. it was, there was no hesitation. It was, yes, absolutely. But let's make sure that this is safe and that everybody can go through this process and, mm -hmm. and, and come out on the other end. Because you worried about your mother-in-law? Oh, absolutely. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Absolutely. It might, might be unusual for certain people, but... Yeah. <laughs> Worried about your you mother-in-law. <laughs> so Chris was saying how you all had had a, a nice relationship, you know, calling right. once a week. Okay. But very, even, even less than that sometimes. You know, we were living our lives. I hadn't lived at home since I was in college, and we certainly enjoyed seeing each other, but there wasn't... We weren't a every day on the phone, talk mm -hmm. about every decision mm -hmm. kind of mother-daughter. So how would you describe it? Polite now, is what I, I heard that you I said. Think, it was, I think polite and, nice. and affectionate, but not, I wouldn't, it wasn't extremely close. I mean, it's so different now. Uh huh. Because so you'd moved away and now you're oh. leading your own life. Yeah. And so that changed with this? Yeah. Yeah. So much. And I know that people talk about when they have a baby with their own mother or mother in law, they become close a lot of times around the baby, but we got to do that. You know, before the baby even arrived, I mean, and we read Harry Potter every day. We had story time with the baby, so we would we would together. Yeah, either yeah. on the phone or I would travel to Virginia, and then my mom moved in, and we just we had so much time together. What was it like when you saw Baby Finn for the first time? Well, I when we went into the room for the C-section, I just had this. My mom and I were holding hands, and I could see her eyes because we were in scrubs. Because she was in 30 hours of labor. <laughs> 30 at least. At least. Yes, yes. <laughs> pushing, 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 and all that, yes. So we go to C-section, and it's the scrubs and the drama and the OR, and we're holding hands, and I was When just, they moved to C-section, were you worried? Because she, she'd been 30 hours in labor no, already. No, we felt relieved, I you think, did? because uh -huh. it felt like time. She was getting tired, and we felt like, okay, good, she's gonna have support, and the baby can come out. And mm -hmm. I was trying not to remember, you know, my previous C-section with our twins. Mm -hmm. and focus on this is a new experience. Mm -hmm. And we were just staring each other's eyes and holding hands. And I just was waiting to hear the cry. Mm. And then when he came out and I saw his hand and I heard the cry and I'm weeping and my mom's weeping and I think the doctors were crying. And <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Were you crying? I was out in the waiting room. I got kicked out of the <laughs> OR. So I, it was like 1965. I was pacing back and forth, waiting for the nurse to come that out. That is, so 1965. It really was. I was like a caged animal, because it, it took about an hour. And you know, based on what had happened previously, I was really, you know, white knuckling this. Mm -hmm. So I understand you breastfed and your mother breastfed. How were you able to breastfeed? Well, there's some... Um, Techniques that can be done to induce lactation in uh -huh. a woman who's an adoptive or surrogate mother, and it doesn't always work. I didn't get much milk, but we were able. I was able to breastfeed at the beginning, which is really good for the um, immune system of the baby, the colostrum, which is sort of. The but where did milk. the milk come from? Because there's a, a medication which is actually a gastrointestinal medication, but a side effect is lactation, and then I pumped with a breast pump eight to twelve times a day for six weeks to see if we could you know, get some milk to come in because I wanted that experience of nursing. And it was so amazing that Finn came out and they, he got cleaned off and everything was great. And they brought him right to me and he latched on. Wow. And it was, it was, it was one of those- He latched on. <laughs> on the term. 
Yeah, he did. And it was, it was incredible. This just feels like, I know when we were all watching it, because I always wait to watch when you all watch. The producers prepare all these tapes, and I like to watch when you all are watching so we all can feel it together. And uh, as we were all watching here, it just, to me, does, it feels like such an extraordinary act of love. I don't know if it's extraordinary. I mean, I think lots of parents would do anything for their kids. And when you see the kind of suffering that they went through, and I, of course, didn't ever think there was anything I could do about what they were going through. Mm -hmm. And then to have this extraneous comment by somebody else yeah. um, on a you know, completely different meaning, you know, just yeah. as a joke almost, you know, really kind of take root of, of this, oh my gosh. Yeah. There maybe is something. The voice that I of could God do. comes in many forms. Absolutely. Yes, it does. And then I realized that I had, since I retired, I'd been riding my bike and getting all healthy and doing all this stuff. Then I thought, ah, <laughs> preparing for something wow. to use my body wow. again. So, what will you tell Finn about mm. his birth story and when, do you think? I don't know when, but his name, Finian, means, uh, well, it, the story is that he's a mythical warrior poet. Mm -hmm. And we just love that name because um, he came in in a really dramatic way. Mm -hmm. he, chose, he chose an extraordinary way, and um, we celebrate this. And it's something that um, I don't know, we'll probably get some guidance about mm -hmm. when's appropriate to share and, mm -hmm. and what, but this is, this is something we celebrate as a miracle. Well, and certainly before he can surf the internet, because once he puts his own name in there, <laughs> he Googles himself, yeah, game, over. Over. game over. Game over. We're yeah. talking to you. So it's interesting because do you feel a special relationship to him because you carried him? Well, how would you know? Because it's your only grandson, right? Right. Your only and grandchild. I know a lot of grandparents, and they're pretty over the moon about their grandchildren. So I, I don't think it is special. I think it's love, regular, mm -hmm. real love, like everybody's got in their yeah. lives, I hope. Yeah. yeah. I think you carrying him is special, though. We all think that's pretty special. Well, I was lucky to do that and, mm -hmm. and lucky to have the body that could do that. Well, what a wonderful, happy love story. Thank you all. Do you think you would do it again? Would you do it again? I have no intention of doing this again. Yeah. But two years ago, I had no intention of doing it ever. So yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm open to what, this is exciting way to live, to try to get inspired by something you're passionate about and, mm. and do it. And uh, I don't know where it's going to lead. All no right. doors are closed. No doors are closed. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Charles Tillman, known as Peanut to his family and fans, is a star cornerback for the Chicago Bears. And as a defensive player, <laughs> go Bears. As a defensive player, Charles is used to dishing out the hard knocks, but nearly three years ago, when his baby girl faced a life-threatening illness, it nearly brought him to his knees. On February 11, 2008, Tiana was born, a healthy seven pounds, five ounces. Charles and Jackie Tillman watched their second daughter grow and thrive until her health took a serious and unexpected turn. She stopped eating and she was screaming and really acting different. And that is the day that everything kind of went downhill. I was at football practice when I got when I got the call, um, Coach Smith came over to me 
and he told me that Tiana was sick and she was being rushed to the hospital. Three-month-old Tiana had to be life-flighted to Children's Memorial Hospital here in Chicago. The doctors told us that they weren't sure she would make it through the night. The diagnosis, dilated cardiomyopathy. Tiana's heart was enlarged, beating 220 times a minute, but still not able to pump enough blood through her tiny body. Hers just kind of quivered, you know, and it was like slowly dying. For months, they watched Tiana struggle. Finally, doctors said her only hope for survival would be a heart transplant. While they waited, a heart and lung machine kept her alive. Then an infection nearly took her young life. You know, you think about what do you do uh, if she if she was uh, no longer here. You think about how would you be, how lonely you'd be, how how empty you'd be. You know, then you just you pray. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Tiana's doctors suggested an experimental device called the Berlin Heart. After an eight-hour surgery, the artificial heart beat life into Tiana. But the artificial heart was just a temporary solution. What Tiana desperately needed was a heart transplant, and the odds were stacked against them. Charles and Jackie put Tiana on the waiting list, but they knew that would take a miracle to save her. Meanwhile. 400 miles away, another mother was holding vigil over her child, baby Armando. Take a look. On May 23, 2008, Armando Garcia entered the world weighing eight pounds, six ounces, a healthy baby boy. It was a happy day. And since I had a girl and having a boy, my family was complete. Akari was a sweetheart with her little brother, with Armando. She was always trying to change his diaper. Magali, a single mother from Minnesota, woke up to every parent's worst fear. Her two-month-old son, who'd shown no signs of illness, was suddenly struggling for breath. I realized he hadn't cried for his four o'clock breastfeeding. And I got to his crib and he was having a hard time breathing. And I started checking on him and he was like, really, really cold. Panicked, she rushed the newborn to the hospital. They took him off my arms, and immediately they start putting oxygen on him, and I heard him crying. So I, I felt like a huge relief in that moment. And then he stopped. Armando's life was slipping away, so doctors airlifted him to a children's hospital in Minnesota for emergency treatment. I was really hoping that he would come back to me. But after five agonizing days in intensive care, doctors told Magali there was no way to save her precious son. Before turning off his life support, Magali brought in his sister to say goodbye. Did you start crying? 
took her little brother. Was laying in the bed with a bunch of tools on him. <laughs> and I told her, I think your brother is gonna wait for us in heaven. Doctors told Magali that although Armando wouldn't survive, his heart was strong and could save another child. Doctors knew about a six-month-old baby girl clinging to life in Chicago. I bet the mom is sitting on the chair next to her daughter, going through almost the same thing I'm going through. With the big difference. that her child might have a chance. So Magali made the most difficult decision of her life and donated her son's heart. This would be the answer for the Tillman's prayers. But the clock was ticking. Doctors had only six hours to transfer the heart and they needed to airlift it from Minnesota to Chicago. Severe storms in Chicago prevented the plane from landing. So they landed as close as they could and drove the heart to the hospital with a police escort. Meanwhile, baby Tiana's parents couldn't get a cab because of the bad weather here in Chicago. So they literally ran a mile on foot to get to the hospital. When I saw the heart coming in, my adrenaline was pumping like I was in the Super Bowl because it was, this is gonna save my daughter. Charles and Jackie had mixed feelings. They were overjoyed that their daughter would have a second chance, but they knew another family was mourning the loss of their baby. I thought about the family the whole day. You know, it was a hard day. It was a good day and a bad day, all, all at the same time. Letting the family know for the, ugh. I don't want to cry. I know, I just, ugh. There's no words that you can say to somebody who gives a gift like that. For her to say yes and not know us and not know our situation or anything, um, there's nothing, there's nothing that can describe it. So that was two and a half years ago. Tiana Tillman is almost three years old now. She loves to play games and watch football with her daddy. Come on out here, Tiana, Charles, Jackie, sister Talia, and brother Tyson. A whole Tillman family. Hey. Hi. Hi, nice to see you. Hi. Hi. So it was two and a half years ago they almost lost Tiana when she developed a severe heart condition. Tiana, as you saw in the tape, underwent a successful heart transplant. The Tillmans say not a day goes by that they don't think about the family responsible for saving their daughter's life. We were just seeing on the tape um, and hearing that story of you all rushing to the hospital. When you finally realize that this time it's gonna be real, that your baby is now going to be able to have a second chance because there is a heart available. What did that feel like? It, it felt amazing because we had waited almost four months in the hospital with her in the ICU, mm -hmm. you know, every day getting worse and worse. And uh -huh. so it was her chance for life. Her chance for life. Did it feel like a second chance? 
it's one of those bittersweet moments. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're happy at the same time, but on the flip side, you're sad because in our darkest hour, we're happy all of a sudden, but at the same time, you know, you know some parent or some, a parent has just lost their child. So it was the greatest day of my life, but at the same time, one of the worst. Well, Charles and Jackie have never actually met the mother who made the heart-wrenching decision. Have you talked to her? No, uh, they have pretty strict rules as far as um, you meeting the family and knowing the family, knowing where the heart came from. You know, all the, you know, press conferences that I've done, you know, I've, I've never said the date of the transplant just because of technology, you can easily track things uh -huh. down. So, um, so I know- So you never even talked to her? The first time I saw her was just about two minutes ago on the video. I didn't wow. know age, race, <laughs> I don't know whether the donor was black, white, or whether it's a boy or girl. I, really? I knew nothing, so. Just, that's why you all came out here a little shaky. Yeah, that was, yeah. Magali is here with her 10-year-old daughter, Akari. So come on out, Magali and Akari. Say hello. Yeah. Say hello. I do, right? Yeah. How you doing? We're all sit down here. Have a seat, y'all. Well, I, I I just can't even have a seat, you all. Thank you. Did I say hello to you? Hi, 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 hi. Did I say hello? I can't imagine what this feels like because I saw you reaching for her. I can't imagine what it feels like to see life in this baby girl, uh, and that life is because of your son's heart. Yeah. What do you want to say to her? There's nothing I can say to thank you enough and for you to understand what that you saying yes did to us that day, because you gave her life. Was it hard for you to say yes? What was the process like for you, Magali? Well, it was hard. It's does somebody come in and tell you? Did they say, did they talk to you about being a donor? Had somebody spoken to you before about being a donor? Or was no. it a last minute decision? Was it a quick decision? Was it a, how, how did you come to that decision? Well, it was a last minute decision. Mm -hmm. I've never thought about being a donor mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. Are you glad you made the decision now? Yes, I am. Um, Glad. Did you know who the baby's heart was going to, who Armando's heart was going to? They didn't tell no. you? Yeah. No, they just say there was, they found someone who was mm -hmm. waiting for a heart. Mm -hmm. Do you have often, as the Tillmans have said, they think about you every day and think about the fact that her heart now came from a source that they didn't know. Do you think about where your son's heart went to? I did. But Akiri, how are you? How are you? Yes, I heard that you had said that you wanted to meet the little girl who has your brother's heart. Why? Because um, I just was excited who, I was just wondering who had my brother's heart. Yeah, who had your brother's heart. And as she was saying, there are no words really, right? Uh, no. We, I wrote a letter about as soon as it happened and 
it literally took me a year to write because it was the uh, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, how do you, in my words, thank you is not enough for what you've done for not Tiana but for my family. You know, um, I've thought about this day ever since it happened. You know, what what I say to you when when I when I saw you when I met you. Um, if Armando had any brothers or sisters, you know, I, I wanted to know his, his story. How does it transform your family, though, when you go through something like this? I'm sure for both families, it changes the way you are with each other. It changes your appreciation for life. It changes the way you see each other, interact with your family. To... Well, I, I think just the whole appreciation of life. Yeah. Um, one thing, it made us a lot stronger mm -hmm. in our marriage. Um, definitely your faith in God. You know, because there were, there were plenty of times where I was like, I could, well, I don't even know how to pray. Do I pray for a heart? But if I pray for a heart, someone else's baby has to die. How do I, how do I, how do, how do I go about asking God for that? You know, I, I just continual prayer. Mm -hmm. Charles is now an advocate for organ donation. He and Jackie started the Charles Tillman Cornerstone Foundation for Critically Ill Children and Their Families, and their website is www.charlestillman.org. And you can find out more about organ donation at www.donatelife.net. So thank you all for being here. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening.